This morning's scripture reading will be from the 12th chapter of Romans, verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. find it only appropriate to start this morning with this phrase. Good morning, church. Thank you so much uh, for being here. If you're visiting with us, we're so thankful that you're here. And I'm uh, very glad to be back home as uh, I've been down as a guest speaker. I guess that means I should come home a little bit more often. But this morning, uh, you need a puzzle piece. If you don't have a puzzle piece, I have a couple of guys uh, that are going to come around and pass those out. So if you would, raise your hand if you don't have a puzzle piece. Those guys are going to help me out. I want to point out a few other things to you before we begin this morning. I hope you picked up a bulletin, as there's some things in there that are going to be of benefit, hopefully, to you. And I've been praying that they would be. There's two things in the bulletin this morning that you normally wouldn't see. One is a handout, but on the back side of the handout is something called a table talk. Uh, this is specifically designed for families with children. Even if you don't have children, you can still use it. It's so that you can have a faith talk with your family this week. Uh, faith talk is an intentional time that you as parents sit down with your children and try to form faith in them because that's uh, the Deuteronomy chapter 6 style of youth ministry. That's how um, God intends for faith to be formed in children and that's through their parents. So this is uh, just to help you uh, have some time with your children this week to talk about faith. So maybe that will be of benefit to you. The second thing we're going to talk about a little bit later, it's called a shape test. Now this, I saw a few laying around, so if it fell out, there's another one in a bulletin, so pick one up. We're going to talk about this later, but it should be in your bulletin as well. And again, I want to say thank you to the elders, and thank you to Dustin and Barry, and for Brother Howard for giving me this time to speak. A pulpit time for preachers is very valuable, so I appreciate them allowing me to have this time. Let me set the stage for you. I was eight years old. It was a daily routine. After dinner time, I'd run down to Grinny and Paul's house. And, and there I would find Paul sitting in the same position every day with his feet kicked back. Run in the house, jump up and put my head on his belly. And I'd look at Grinny and say, Hey, Grinny, what type of little Debbie's you got today? And Grinny would name off three or four and she'd ask Paul, Hey, buddy, what, what kind of little Debbie do you want? And he'd say, What do you have again? And she'd list off three or four and he'd say, Sure, that sounds good. Which means bring me one of each. So that would happen and we'd turn on the Food Network channel because what else would you eat while you, uh, watch while you're eating Little Debbies? And Unwrapped would come on. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Unwrapped, 
But I've always been fascinated from a very young child how things are made and the process of which uh, productions happen, uh, the products that we have. So we'd sit there and we'd watch that and I'd be fascinated because different things work together, different uh, moving pieces come together. A lot of you work in factories and you know that very process of how things have to take place a certain way so that a product is formed. Well, I grew a little bit older and there's another show called How It's Made. And it moved from candy that I loved as a kid to different products that we use every day, such as cars and our microwaves and our ovens. But now as I'm a little bit older, I start thinking about people and how the relationships and connections and how we all affect each other. And, and as I was reading the other day, I came across uh, a study that had been done and a report that had been put out about this uh, air monitoring station on top of a mountain in California. And on top of this mountain, there had been uh, wind-borne particles picked up that had traveled across the Pacific Ocean to the United States. They had traveled thousands of miles and they had came from coal-fire-producing energy plants in China. And, and as the study kept going on, it, it, t it told about how it takes five to ten days for these airborne particles to get to the United States. And that in a few years, which is actually probably already here because it was an older study, that one-third of the pollution in California would be because of the growing economies of other nations. This world is connected. And on the flip side of that, the United States still stands as the largest producer of greenhouse effects of, of pollution of all countries. And they feel that same effect that we have. So as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know what? There's nowhere that you can go and nothing that happens in this world that doesn't have a cause and effect relationship. You can look at the chaos within our own world. Uh, this past Friday, there was another school shooting in Illinois. There was a cause for that school shooting. And now there's an effect for that school shooting. You can look at corrupt politics and every time you turn on the TV it seems like somebody else is name calling someone else. You can look at the natural disasters, specifically the one that's happening in Hawaii right now. And about how all these happen and there's a cause and there's an effect. And I start thinking internally about all this chaos that happens and how it seems so troubling. And I look in the church about how there's a group of 300, 400 people that can come together and somehow there's peace. Somehow there doesn't have to be chaos. And when you look at the world and how the relationships and the connectivity that is there causes this great confusion and causes this great pain, it's a really puzzling piece to them that a group of people can have such peace and work together to accomplish a goal. And there's a reason for that. There's a cause. It's the blood of Christ. And there's an effect when it happens. That's called the Lord's will being done. This morning, I want us to open our hearts and I want us to open our minds to see how this puzzling peace can happen and how it is happening in the Lord's church. I want us to study God's Word and see what He says about the church and, and how it's supposed to work together and how this body of believers here and how the church universal can grow together to accomplish the Lord's will. So if you would, let's open our Bibles there to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Romans 12 Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This morning, before we can talk about the peace within the church, we have to talk about reforming my own peace. I went backwards. There we go. Reforming my own peace. The peace that is within me. Because before my relationships within the church can be right, the relationship within my soul with the one who is the head of the church has to be right. And before I can give my all to the church, I've got to be willing to give my all for the one who is the all in all. So I ask you to to search this with me because there's so much depth within the first four words of Romans chapter 12. Listen to this. I beseech you, therefore... Brethren, Now, you might read that and say there's nothing there. I don't really understand what's going on. Because if you're not careful and you don't, if you don't study it the way it should be studied, you just read over it like it's nothing. But Paul is urging, I beseech you therefore, brothers, saying, listen up, take heed to what I've said. And he says, therefore. I heard this really um, cheesy saying about Bible study. And hopefully it will be a help to you. Whenever you see the word therefore, Go back and look and see what therefore is therefore. So go back. Paul is, is saying, listen up, because I'm about to tell you the conclusion of the matter that I've been trying to tell you for the past 12 chapters. I'm about to, to sum it all up into this one package. But what is he summing up? You've got to know a little bit about the context of Romans. If you go all the way back to A.D. 49, A.D. 49, there's a dict of Claudius. And Claudius uh, sees that there's this uproar over this man whose name is Christus. We know him as Christ. And Claudius is going to have nothing to do with it, so he sends the Jews outside of Rome. He says, I just need you out of here. And this edict goes on for five years until he, until he dies in A.D. 54. And once he dies, then the Jews come back. And there's this uproar within the churches there in Rome because what happens when the Jews are gone? The church still thrives. The Gentiles take over the positions. The Gentiles are now in the leadership positions and are doing everything that the Jews used to do. Because guess what happens whenever people leave the church? The church still does the church. Things still keep going. So you have this big problem come back, right? This pride problem of the Jews. So whenever they come back, Paul writes this letter probably around A.D. 56, which is two years after the Jews have come back. And he's trying to tell the Jews and the Gentiles this important message. He starts out in Romans 1 by describing the Gentiles, right? He says, man, they're evil. Man, they're wicked. And God gave them over to their own lusts and their own passions. Then you go down to chapter 2 in Romans, and he flips the switch. And he says, but you are that way. So you can almost imagine that Paul is before the, the congregations... Uh, whenever this letter is written, it's like the Gentiles are over here and the Jews are over here. And at first he's speaking to the Jews, he's saying, hey, guess what? They're so evil and sinful. And you know what? They don't deserve grace. But then he continues to look at him and says, you know what? You are too. You don't need it. So you come to this climax in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We all know it by heart. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, 
we take that verse and we just pull it, and it's a powerful verse for us. But whenever you put it in its context, it's so much more powerful. Because Paul's trying to unite these two groups of people that form the same church. He says, guess what? Get over yourselves because you save the same grace. You need the same blood. He says, you've got to put yourself behind you. You've got to take up the cross. And you move forward to Romans chapter 6 and says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is in Christ. Paraphrasing. Is in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, listen up, because what I've said matters, and it adds up to this. By the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? The cross. The work of Christ on the cross that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What do we have here? The past changes our present. The mercies of God, the past, what happened on the cross, has to change who I am today. If the cross does not change my today, it's useless. What is it supposed to change? What is my present supposed to look like? A living sacrifice. To be holy and acceptable to God. What is a living sacrifice? Well, we know in the, under the old law that they had to pro- provide sacrifices once a year. But Romans 5, 18-19 will tell us that Christ paid the price for sin once for all. That, that sin is done away with through Christ. That, that our price has been paid. We don't need the sacrifice. But God calls us to be living sacrifices. What is a living sacrifice? It's the dying to myself and the living to Christ. As Paul would write to the Romans in chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer that I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Are we dying to Christ? Because before we can ever have peace within the church, before we can ever move forward, I have to have peace within me, reforming my own peace. As in Luke 9.23, Christ tells His disciples that if anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. And being a living sacrifice is denying our former lust. In 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. And in being a living sacrifice, we are in turn holy and acceptable to God. Whenever we deny ourselves and we live to Christ, we become holy and acceptable. Look also there at 1 Peter verse 1, 15 and 16, if you continue looking there. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your what? Conduct. How does your conduct become holy? You be a living sacrifice. For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And then listen to this. What does Paul say this is? Being a living sacrifice and being holy and being acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service? Being a living sacrifice is not over-the-top service. Being a living sacrifice is not asking too much service. Being a living sacrifice is a reasonable service. Paul's saying, if Christ could die for a bunch of sinners like you and like me, you can at least deny yourself. 
You can at least put yourself behind. You can at least put your honor-shame pyramid behind. You can at least put your own pride and leadership behind. You can at least put this racism problem behind and focus on what unites you together. Because the church isn't about this what separates us. It's what is about what unites us. And that's the blood. That's the blood. In America, there's this race problem. It's been going on for a long time. And people want to say, well, they didn't have that race problem in the Bible. I'd encourage us to open our Bibles and read. Because it's all over the place. The Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And you know what it said over and over and over again? You're not a Jew. You're not a Gentile. You're not a slave. You're not a free man. But you're a Christ follower. You're a Christian. So, in doing that, the past transforms and changes my present. And then our present motivates our future. How does Paul say that this is going to happen? He says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. That our present shape, that who I am today, should motivate me to continue to do good in my future. Paul just doesn't just say, don't be conformed, but be transformed. He commands them. It is a command. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't be like the other people that are outside these walls. Because what happens whenever we're like the people outside these walls? Chaos. It's no more a puzzling piece. It's a puzzling chaos that's not fitting together when we try to act like the world. Paul encourages us and he challenges us and he commands us to let our present state in the cross of Jesus Christ to motivate our future self. And how do we do that? By the means of renewing our mind daily. Through waking up each day saying, I am bought with the precious blood of Christ. I challenge us to live that way. Because whenever that happens, it's so beautiful what the results are. The results are a puzzling peace within the church. Whenever there's peace within me, there can be this puzzling, beautiful peace created in the church. Now what do I mean by this? Everybody should have a puzzle piece. And I want you to look at this puzzle piece. And whenever you look at this puzzle piece, I want, to, I want you to think about yourself. This puzzle piece is Ben. This is Ben right here. Your puzzle piece is you. And we are each in the church this morning. But I want everybody to raise their hand if they have a puzzle piece. Alright? Now everybody look around. Everybody has their hands up. Okay, you can put your hands down. Guess what? If this is the only piece of your puzzle, what do you not have? The completed picture. The completed picture. But what is this puzzle piece meant to do? Create a beautiful picture together, right? A puzzling piece that works together. The church. So this is you, and the complete picture is the church. Remember that as we'll come back to it. So once I have reformed my peace within me, I must receive my peace. Receiving my peace. Let's read these verses together. Verses 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches and teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What is Paul trying to tell us? What is God trying to tell us? The very first part of verse 4. For there are many members. I just ask you to raise your hand. There's many puzzle pieces. There's a plurality of pieces. The church is not made up of one member. The church is not made up of one person. The church up is made up of a locally group of members. 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, to the church of the saints that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. The church and the members is a local group of people, but at the same time it is a universal group of people who call upon the name of the Lord. Ephesians 1.22 And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church. So the church is local and the church is universal. And guess what I am? I'm one little piece of the puzzle. I'm one little piece of the puzzle. But guess what the complete picture is if my piece is not there? It's not what God intended it to be. Because look, continue reading. Continue reading there in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Again, study your piece. Look at it. Mine has two outward parts and two inward parts. Your piece probably doesn't look like my piece. Guess why? There's no two pieces that are the same. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-26, through 26, you're going to see Paul telling the Corinthian church basically the same ideas that we're seeing here in Romans. But he relates the body of Christ to the human body. And he says, some of you are the eyes, some of you are the hands, some of you are the feet... Guess what? Somebody's the leg hair. Guess what? Somebody's the pinky toe. But what happens if you don't have leg hair in the winter, ladies? You probably get a little bit colder, right? It's not as warm. What happens if you don't have your pinky toe? You're going to lose your balance. So just as each member does not look the same, just as each member does not have the same function, it's okay. It's okay that you're not the one that's getting up and presenting the lesson. It's okay that you're not the one that's saying the most eloquent prayer. It's okay that you're not the one that's the most friendly one greeting everybody that comes in the door. But guess what? You have a part. You have a function. And be okay with that. Because guess what? If everybody was my piece and looked exactly like my piece, we would not have the picture. We would not be who God intended us to be. So have peace in your peace. Have peace in your peace. Receive it and take it on and take it with pride and be proud of your peace because each member has an important piece of the puzzle. And guess what else each piece has? It has connections. This is not a children's puzzle to where the the shape just fits in with no connections. This is a puzzle where it interlocks and it intertwines with each other. 
Just as in the world, the connectivity that we have usually creates chaos. The connectivity within the church is meant to to bring peace and to bind us together and make us stronger and unified. Each of our pieces have at least two, some have four points of connection. Studies say for teenagers nowadays that if 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 a teen growing up in the church does not have seven connections outside of their family within the church, they are less likely to remain faithful in their adult years. Seven connections. That could be just a mentor. That could be their grandparents uh, that are members of the church. That could be their teachers. Seven connections. But I don't believe that's just true for our teenagers. I believe it's true for our adults. God designed us in the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve for relationship. For relationship. We're meant to be connected. If we don't connect, we're not meeting our full potential. Let's plug in and let's connect. And then we're all unified in the blood of Christ. It is only Christ that holds this connection together because He is the head and He is our common goal in which we seek to glorify Him and to bring out His mission in this world. The next two things that I want to talk about is to help you have peace very quickly in who you are and your part in the church. I want you to notice this. Verse 6. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. What does it say that your gift is given to you according to? Grace. You are perfectly planned. Your peace, your position in this puzzle is perfectly planned by God. If you look at Matthew 25 and you read the parable of the talents, you're going to notice that the people who received the talents did nothing to receive the talents. One of them received five, one received two, one received one. And it was God who gave them the talents. The only thing they were responsible for was doing something with it. Let me give you a more personal uh, illustration of this. Look at Moses. If you've ever read Acts chapter 7, I hope you've noticed this. Acts chapter 7, you're going you're gonna to see Stephen, before he gets stoned, he's giving this great sermon about um, trying to prove that, that God had a plan to bring Christ in. And he talks about how Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house for 40 years. And after 40 years, he started seeing how, how the Egyptians were treating God's people, and he didn't like it. So he went out, and what did he do? He killed one of the Egyptians, right? To try to free his bondservant. And then he comes back the next day and he sees two Israelites fighting. He says, brethren, why are you fighting? You're brothers with each other. And one of them looks at Moses and says, why are you telling me this? You're not one of us. So what does Moses do? He runs off from the wilderness. But why did Moses stand up in the first place? Acts chapter 7 will say that he supposed that he would be the one which God would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. At 40 years old, Moses thought that. Fast forward another 40 years. Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, wandering the hillsides, taking care of the sheep, and taking care of the flocks. And God comes to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, I'm ready to use you. And Moses says, you're not using me, Lord. So after a lot of convincing, Moses finally went. And you look at the story and he brings out the Israelites into the wilderness and what do they do? 
They wandered around the Israel, in, in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. So look at this big picture with me. Who knew how to approach Pharaoh and how to handle Pharaoh and Egyptian wisdom and literature and everything to know about Egypt? Who knew that the most out of any child of God? Moses. He spent 40 years with them. Who knew the hillsides of the wilderness better than anyone in, the, in that time? Moses. He spent 40 years there. And how long did he help God's children in the wilderness? 40 years. God had a plan. God followed the plan. You are purposefully planned to be who you are in the church. And with that, you are perfectly placed. You are perfectly placed. 1 Corinthians 12, 18-19 But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. And if there were all one member, where would the body be? You are purposefully planned and you are perfectly placed in the body. Take pride in your position and in your part and in your peace in the body and powerfully plug in. Powerfully plug in. Have you ever been working on a puzzle and you get down to the last piece? And it's not there. Me and uh, Meg were working on a puzzle one day. And my dad's laughing because he knows where this is going. And we had been working on it for like three or four hours. And we're about done. And he comes to the last piece. And it's not on the table. It's not on the floor. It's not in the chairs. It's not in the garbage can. It's not in the box. It's not in the bag. My dad comes up and he pulls it out of his pocket. And says... I just wanted to be the one to lay my piece in last. He had the piece. He stole the piece from us. But you know what he did do? He brought it and he placed what he had into the bigger picture. And whenever he did that, the puzzle was complete. If he would have never brought that piece of the puzzle to the table, the picture would have never been what it was meant and intended to be by God. Now what do I mean by this? You are a piece of the puzzle. For there to be a puzzling piece, guess what has to happen? We each have to bring our piece to the table and powerfully place it where God intended. If we simply show up to church on Sunday and Wednesday and say hi to one person and walk out the door and never powerfully plug in, we are missing the point intended by God. We are missing what God has created and what God died for and what Christ had came to this earth to do so that you could powerfully plug in. Not to sit in a pew. Christ did not die for us to sit in a pew comfortably. He died so we could plug in. So it could be the arms and the legs and the feet and the leg hair and the little toe that as together as a beautiful picture intended by God, purposefully planned and perfectly placed by God could reach those who need to be in the body. Because everybody is somebody in the body. Everybody matters. Everyone belongs. And everyone is needed here to be who God and who Christ wants us to be. And with that, I challenge you 
Don't be the missing piece. Don't be the missing piece. Don't be the one where everybody else in the church is looking around saying, where is the pinky toe? Where is the leg hair? And don't let them say, well, somebody shaved it off. I know that's kind of a weird illustration. But don't be the one that causes someone else to leave. And on the other side of that, seek out those who are missing. Seek the missing piece. So how does this all tie together? How does my refocused, reformed peace within my body go and tie in to the peace that I have received from God? It comes right here in the last passages that we're going to look at from Paul. I'm not going to expound upon these. I know I'm taking my time here. But I simply want us to listen to the words of God that He wrote through Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen and be filled with the words of God. This is how we act out our peace. This is how we live out who we're meant to be. Reflecting my peace through my peace. Don't write yet. Just listen. Follow along with me. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging and diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saint. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. How do I reflect my peace through my peace? I believe it can be summed up in these two things. Live a life of love. Love God. Love the church. Love her people. And love sinners. And live a life of service. Serve God. Serve the church. Serve her people. And serve sinners. Live a life of love. And live a life of service. Because when we bring all of these things to the table and we place our peace, something beautiful happens. Something that used to be jumbled in a mess and made no sense, when it's connected together, is beautiful. It makes sense. And it's honestly quite puzzling. But it's only through the blood of Christ that we're even able to come to the table with our peace. So in conclusion, I want to ask a couple of things of you about how does this apply to me in my life. Because if this morning all you did was come and you heard some sermon from some young kid that is the guest speaker that grew up here his whole life, it's worthless. How does this apply to me? Whenever I look at reforming my own peace, I want to ask us a few questions. What in your life, what in my life, do I need to increase? What do I need to decrease? What do I need to add? And what do I need to subtract to be a living sacrifice before God? Think about that. What do I need to spend less time doing? What do I need to spend more time doing? 
What do I need to add in my life and what do I need to take away in my life so that I can be who God has intended me to be? Because when we do that, then we can be a living sacrifice for God. When I think about receiving my peace, I know many of us here today might not really know what our peace looks like. I can be standing up here talking about using your talents for the Lord and you have no idea where I fit in. And we all want to fit in. So this is where this shape test comes in. This is why I've given this to you. Because I want to help you know where you fit in and where you can serve. Now, I'm not going to say circle all these things and this is what you are. No. I just want to help you intentionally think about what you're good at and how you can help. We're about to have a meal together. If you didn't know, we're having a meal together here in a little bit. I hope you stick around. Um, I'm sure we can find some more chicken, but it's going for a good cause. But the shape test. While we're back here, ask people, hey, where do you think I serve best at? Because let me tell you, other people know where you fit and where you don't fit. And it can help you know where to fit better. But it just simply focuses on your spiritual gifts, on your heart, on your abilities, on your personalities and your experiences. There's some scriptures here that you should, that you should encourage to look at and that you should read. And in doing so, it would help you fill this out. But before you do it, before you even start filling this out, which I hope you will, I ask you to pray about it. I ask you to pray. Because without the help of the Lord, without asking Him to help us in doing His work, it's not really His work. Pray about it. Consider those verses and fill it out. And then once you have filled that out, I ask you, how are you going to plug in this week? How are you going to plug in this month? And how are you going to plug in to this year? Plug into the church. Plug into church members. Be connected. Maybe it's having a meal with somebody. Maybe it's inviting someone over to your house. But take time to plug into the church today. And then finally, reflecting my peace through my peace. This is where it hits home. Look for one way this upcoming week. These are very specific. Write these down. Look for one way this upcoming week to honor someone in this body using your gifts. Find one way to honor somebody this week. That might be writing an encouraging card. That might be having someone over for dinner. That might be going and doing service for someone. Look for one way to honor another member of this body this week. This month, I want us to look for opportunities to cling to what is good, to love without hypocrisy, and to hate the evil. Look for that this week, for this month. How can I love without hypocrisy? How can I cling to what is good? And how can I hate the evil? And then lastly, for the rest of this year, look for ways that you can use your piece of the puzzle to plug in to your brothers and sisters, remaining humble, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, praying with those who pray, and growing with those who grow. Because we are a family. We're not in this race, in this battle, in this fight together. We're not in it alone. We're in it together. Because together, only then are what we are, who God wants and intends, has purposely planned and placed us to be. This morning you might be here and you might not be a member of the Lord's church. The Lord's church being those who have been baptized into Christ that have been risen anew 
Maybe you haven't picked up your peace yet. God has a peace for you. And when you pick up that peace through baptism, there's a greater peace that comes and it's in the soul because you know you're right with the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been plugging in and you're sorrowful for that and you want to come before the church and you want to say, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to come to the table and do whatever I can to help this body. Because you know what? I'm the pinky toe. You know what? I'm the leg hair and I didn't realize I was that important, but I know I am. Or maybe this morning you're just struggling. You're just hurting. You don't feel like you're important. You don't feel like you're needed. Let me tell you. Christ died for you. You're important. There's no one in this world that's not important. But this morning, you need to know that you're important. That you're valuable. And that you're needed here in Savannah. And that you're needed in the church universally. God intended for you to be part of His family. Don't leave here tonight, this morning, without being part of it. Whatever your need is, come now. We stand as we sing.